This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. This is the podcast we are keeping today. I am joined by my good friend and mental health trailblazer, founder of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health and a media expert who is changing the way we view and treat children's mental health. Her work has helped thousands reverse the most challenging conditions, including ADHD, anxiety, mood disorders, Lyme, PANS and PANDAS using proven holistic therapies. She is oftentimes featured on dozens of media outlets. She's a good friend and an incredible pediatric advocate. Welcome, Roseanne. It's so good to have you this afternoon. I am so excited because whenever you and I talk, it's always just like full of mind bombs. And I just, you know, I love you and I love talking to you. I'm so grateful that you're in my life. So everyone gets to hear about these conversations that we have, and we're both on a mission to help women in particular. So moms for both of us. So I'm grateful for this conversation. Yeah. And I've really been looking forward to connecting with you for many, many reasons, but largely because as a parent, the past 15, 16 months has really changed the landscape for our children. And I would love for us to really start our discussion, talking about ways to support our children. You know, obviously I have teenage boys but we've had some very in-depth discussions and not only about the impact of this pandemic, what it's changed for us in our lives personally, how it's changed for my children, you know, from a social perspective, academic perspective, psychological perspective. I know last year I reached out to you with some concerns. And so I'd love for you to kind of talk about the landscape that we are navigating as parents. And, you know, for those of us that have younger children all of us have been impacted. It is not just parents with children that can watch the news and can kind of absorb what's going on and, you know, get fearful. So let's start there and then we'll kind of expand our conversation. So, you know, there has been an undeniable impact on everyone in America and across the globe from the pandemic. And, you know, we're seeing an uptick, a surge in mental health problems across all ages. And you're right, Cynthia, this is affecting young kids, teens, young adults, right? I always call kids, right? You know, I think of it as Mm -hmm. 28 and under. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'll have a 50-year-old at one point and I'll be like, that's my kid, you know? Mm -hmm. They'll (laughs) always be our kids. They're always our kids. And so, but parents have had a huge impact. And I want to say that it's really the parents that have been hit hard. And we know through research, the American Psychological Association does a beautiful survey every year called Stress in America. There's always lots of information about, you know, how it's affecting us at home with our employment. But, you know, no surprise, 70% of parents report significant stress due to the pandemic, mostly from homeschooling their kids, right? And social isolation. So, you know, there's so many parts about why people are affected. I think that the lack of socialization, the disruption in routine, just whammies of disappointment, you know, a cultural shift. I think, you know, there's just so many changes and big things that have happened in the last year or so. And, you know, 
education disruption, right? And, you know, not getting ideal types of learning. And then you have parents that are working at home in the same time. And we've just been whammy. So overwhelm and exhaustion are sort of ruling the day. And even though we're moving into a different time, people are feeling more hopeful, whether, you know, what you feel about vaccinations, it doesn't matter. The rates are going down for everybody right now, at least across the United States or countries where people are getting vaccinated. So that has created a sense of hopefulness as people Mm -hmm. sort of re-enter the world. And in the beginning of the pandemic, I was talking about re-entry panic syndrome because people were so anxious. Then I started now talking about re-entry anxiety syndrome. And now I think what we need to talk about is re-entry socialization, right? (laughs) So there's a lot, a lot going on and we can dive into, I gave you a lot of information and I'd love to talk about some of the stats around what's Mm -hmm. happening with anxiety, depression, and suicide rates amongst young people, as well as, you know, hear the stats, what do parents need to look for? Because I think parents are often missing some of these signs. And, you know, I'm all about educating people, which is why I get out there and do all of this stuff and have these conversations because nobody is immune to mental health issues. And I think the pandemic has highlighted that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know last, so I'm in the Washington DC suburbs and from March of last year to May, There were days I would cry in the shower out of frustration. I didn't want anyone in my family to see me frustrated because I kept saying, I have to put on this bright, happy face for my kids, reassure them, tell everything's going to be fine. Despite the fact that, you know, everything is kind of shut down. I'm grateful that I feel like now as people are able to resume some of their normal activities, perhaps your children in your area were back in school this past spring or winter. I know there were parts of the country that were in school the entire year. And I think that's so critically important. My children just got back to the physical classroom in March. And I noticed a tremendous uptick in their behavior and their moods. I mean, they're teenagers, so let's be honest. You know, there's a lot of moodiness in my house. There's just a normal developmental phase for them. Right. But what would be some of the signs for yeah. a parent that they need to be looking for? Because I know even I reached out to you out of concern, out of something I was seeing out of one of my children because I didn't want to miss something. And, you know, here's the other thing for those of us that have boys, most boys don't communicate the same way that maybe a girl would. And so for me, I have one talkative boy who talks about his feelings, very open. I have one who's a little more introverted, keeps things a little closer to his heart. And so, you know, what are the things that we as parents need to really be cognizant of that we need to be engaged with in our children? And I think for many of us, you know, we've spent so much time with our children in the past 15, 16 months that we can kind of assume even with good intentions that maybe behavior that's unusual for them we might just make excuses for it. So what are the things we need to look out for? Yeah. And thank you for sharing because, you know, it doesn't matter what you got going Mm -hmm. on at home, where you live, who you are. Again, nobody's immune for the stress Mm -hmm. that 
is impacting kids, families, adults. And, you know, just Dr. Rowe to put on her geeky research hat, because I love, I'm a big research nerd. And in my book, It's Going to Be Okay, it has over 40 single page, single line citations of research. So, because I like to, you know, just let people know that, you know, holistic therapies are super effective and also that you can trust this information Mm -hmm. and, and also, you know, let my peers know that there's a lot of great information and research they're not looking at. And we need to really create this change because prior to the pandemic, things were in a crisis. So nobody's immune to the effects of chronic stress. And just, I know we talk about it on this podcast, but I also want to say, because we think about chronic stress as an adult and kids can have the same effect. Let's talk about this as a nervous system effect. So we want our autonomic nervous system regulates our stress response. The parasympathetic chill out state, I call it the hot tub state. Okay. That's where we want to live. Cynthia's laughing. That's where we want to live people. We want to be in this hot tub state, but when stressors happen and they can be real or imagined and stress can be good or bad. Right. And I'll explain, give you some examples. You start creeping up into the sympathetic stressed out. So S S sympathetic stressed out state. And there's only three possible responses. Once you hit maximum capacity and you're hyper stress activated, it's fight flight or freeze. And you'll see this in kids behavior. So let's talk about what we're going to look about. So You can have a super verbal kid. Both my kids, as you can imagine, are chatterboxes. (laughs) No. (laughs) But one of my kids is actually kind of shy. You know what I mean? I'm like, where did this kid come from? But he did and he's there and he just needs to know. He's kind of like his dad. He's like, you know, I need to know you're my people before Mm -hmm. you get to see full John Carlo. That's how my (laughs) husband is as well. And I have so much respect for that. But You know, so we think about these academically bright kids. You can have a five-year-old that's like amazing and they can talk about the presidents of the United States or spew out sports statistics, but it doesn't mean they have the words to their feelings. If we're not living in a house, like a therapist's house, you know, and have those words that they're able to connect to their sensations they're just not going to be as fluid with that. And there's ways to connect to that. I talk a lot about it in my book. It's going to be okay, but we can talk about it right now. So first of all, they're in when it's stress, anxiety, OCD, depression, whatever's going on, we have internalizers and externalizers, and it's a continuum. So internalizers, as Cynthia talked about, her son is more quiet. He will withdraw. He will maybe be a little more sensitive to things. You know, they might be more tearful. And then our externalizers are kids that are angry. They might be verbally angry. They might be punching walls. They might tell you to F off. They might threaten to harden themselves or other people. And then in between is everything else, right? And so externalizers get help. Internalizers typically go a very long time before they get help. And I like to share this statistic wherever I am, because it's, it's like a holy guacamole statistic. It takes 11 years from the onset of a problem, a mental health problem, before you get appropriate help. And that's according to NAMI in 2019. This is not a surprise to me, people, because people come to me every day, like the best moms and dads. And they're like, oh my gosh, 
I'm able to connect the dots now. Mm -hmm. So what are signs? So we talked about internalizers and externalizers and across the continuum, kids show us their behaviors. They don't tell us what's going Mm -hmm. on. So you're going to see stomach aches. You're going to see headaches. You're going to see somatic issues. That's what they're called. And you're going to see things like sleep problems. You're also going to notice a change in behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think Cynthia, you alluded to this, that in the pandemic, parents were like, oh my gosh, my kid is different. Like he was chitter chatty and now he's sitting in his room and he won't come out. Right. Or had a huge change in friendships or is now cranky and sensitive all the time where they were like, just an easy to parent kid. Right. You know, so I have one kid that I got to be my A game parent. I got another kid where I could, he could be raised by wolves and he'd be fine. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So when my easy kid complaints or is a little difficult. I'm like, I better put on my aim gate, a game parent, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thing. And I better pay attention to him. Right. And, you know, so it's important, right. To meet our kids where we're at and also recognize, you know, when it comes to parenting, there's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's a lot of just being consistent, but I think parents miss the opportunity to really provide, you know, clear about what your family's values are and really just have things that are like the anchor of the family. And then each kid needs a little bit of a different parenting, right? So, like I said, my older kid, I have to it's got to be Dr. Rowe has to be mom, right? Extraordinaire when I'm with him, which means I've got to have more patience for him. He needs things front loaded, right? No surprising on him. <laughs> and I have to give him, he needs to say no before he needs to say yes. So that's Max. And so I always give him an opportunity to say no. And I'll be like, think about it. You know, you're 16. I just want everybody to know all those things are smoothing out. So, <laughs> and he's starting to really think about other people. Today was one of those moments, Cynthia, like it's so little, it's such a little thing. But my Max has chronic Lyme disease. He got it when he was 22 months old. Life has not been easy for him. And I feel grateful for all the lessons in our family that he has brought to us. And we have this amazing gluten-free cupcake place. So my son went to a doctor's appointment. I was like, let's get some gluten-free cupcakes. And I had one cupcake, which was a different cupcake. Everybody knows I like mochaccino, but I had the (laughs) s'mores. So Max had said, do you want this, you know, mochaccino? And I said, you know what? I already had a cupcake. I don't want it. Well, you know what he did, Cynthia? He got up, you know, he's a teenager, you know, they eat like inhale food Mm -hmm. and he took it and put it in a plastic bag and set it aside for me. And I woke up today and he had set aside that cupcake. I think I just about bald because it's so little, but when your kid just is so thoughtful like that, that's what matters to us is thoughtfulness and being mm-hmm. kind. It's one of our family values. And so when kids are struggling, you should always celebrate the little things. I mean, you really, really should. And it sounds so little, but for Max, it's just a big deal for somebody who struggles with anxiety. And, you know, he was able to, he's just getting so calm and regulated. It's really nice. So look for changes look for stressors, look for physical things. My highest level students do things like vomit, always have gastrointestinal. I mean, like 98% of the time. And they're not going to be like, hey, mom, feeling pretty stressed. I think I'd like to talk to a therapist, right? So- (laughs) 
<laughs> they might not even understand that they're really struggling. You know, kids can have intrusive thoughts. They can have thoughts of wanting to harm themselves. I think that's one of the biggest surprises is that we've seen such a dramatic increase in um, kids going to the ER now for suicidal thoughts. And suicidal thoughts means you're thinking about it, right? You don't have a plan for it, but you, you're having some concerns and you're, you're saying thing, you might say things to others. Like I feel like killing myself without a plan. And so appropriate thing is to seek care and really get a professional to evaluate it. And it's often such a shock to parents because internalizers are internalizers. They're not saying it out loud for them to get to that point of high distress please know it's been bubbling for a while. Yeah, it doesn't just happen overnight. And I think that we're both so fortunate that we have, you know, very open, honest, you know, relationships. Even though I have boys, I tell them all the time, you know, my husband and I have very close relationships, but obviously a lot of our children's behavior is a reflection of how their parents kind of manage and mitigate stress. And one thing that I know has been particularly helpful for my kids is, you know, I have one swimmer and one football player, and not being as physically active for both of them was a bit of a shock. Cause I had one kid who was used to being in the pool 12 to 15 hours a week. And all of a sudden wasn't for months on end. And, you know, obviously the gyms were closed. And so one thing that I know has been particularly beneficial, and I'm sure you probably would agree is physical activity. So making sure, you know, much like when my kids were little, like real little, like toddlers, I say, if they fell asleep really fast at night, I knew I did my job well because they got enough exercise. And so it's, really no different with older children, just making sure that they're moving their bodies every day. You know, sometimes my kids are forced to walk the dogs. Oh my gosh. There's such a big issue with walking the dogs every once in a while, but I always tell them like our bodies are conditioned to move. It's really important that we're doing that every day. And, and I think that, you know, the physical activity piece we know has a lot of benefits for brain health. And we were actually talking about this prior to recording. Can you touch on that a little bit? Because, yeah. you know, as we're kind of touching on beneficial things and, and I've got a whole kind of idea of kind of weaving in all these different topics I want to discuss with you, but let's, so those are signs of, of things we need to look out for as parents. And then let's talk about some of the beneficial things we can do that irrespective of where you live or what kind of environment Absolutely. you're in, that you can do for your child's mental health benefits. Well, and let's just piggyback on exercise, right? So, you know, when kids aren't exercised, I like to think about, yes, it's, we should think about what's happening physically, right? They're not getting the endorphins released, mm -hmm. their body's not doing all the things that it's supposed to do, detoxification, lymphatic drainage, muscle building, right? And we know through research that even one 30 minutes of, of moderate exercise, one improves your performance on cognitive tests. Mm -hmm. So we know that cognitively, because kids in the pandemic, their parents were noticing this, problems with focus, problems with motivation, right? So your frontal lobes start working more appropriately. You do three 30 minutes of moderate exercise three times a week. If you have ADHD, your symptoms decrease by 40%. Wow. Just three times a week. So, so much goes on, but you're missing socialization without exercise. You're reducing your hands-on activities, right? Especially when we're placing with technology and exercise helps us to regulate our entire nervous system. It gives us balance so that we're able to handle, handle stressors. So when we make it a priority, right, this is a mental health, this is a stress inoculator exercising, but 
when we make it a family activity, right? It gives us an opportunity. When I like to talk about how to talk to kids about mental health and let's tie it into exercise. So I talk about the four C's of conversing about mental health and it's connection, comforting, communicating with your kids and being conscientious, right? Of what you're seeing. And so connection, particularly with teenagers, guys, comes through activities, right? When the body is moving, the mouth moves. If you're going to jump in at your kid and treat it like the Spanish Inquisition, they're going to repel you, right? But if you're out there walking or doing something fun, you're just more likely to have that you know, communication and, you know, it's a place of comfort. It's just a routine. It becomes a family value. And, you know, your kids may bristle with you to get their butts out there, like your dog, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. (laughs) Um, And just like, guess what? You want to have some computer time, get your butt out there, right? Like this is our time. And, and if you haven't already got a sense, I'm super playful. Part of the Hodge motto is to have fun and be playful. And it's such a great diffuser. Like even when my younger kid, Giancarlo, who's so easy, I see him getting difficult. And I was like, are you going to Hulk on me? It's like Bruce Banner, you know, and he, (laughs) he will start cracking up. And then the words come and then he's able to talk to me about what it is. And it's, you know, you just have to have that way. And I feel better, right? If I was like, hey, knock it off. I don't need to hear a snarky mouth. We just create these friction points. And so communication is super, super important. And, And please know, really, you can bring the fun back in your life because I feel like nobody's having any fun and it should come in these little moments, right? And then again, just being super conscientious about what you see. So that's where it all starts. And it also starts, how can parents really help their kids with their mental health? Well, the number one predictor of kids' mental health in their life is maternal mental health. So not trying to make you feel bad, Because we shouldn't feel bad. We're terrible to ourselves. We tell each other, you know, we tell what we say to ourselves is like a thousand times worse than any other person. Mm -hmm. Right, Cynthia? Yeah. 100%. 100%. So put your oxygen mask on, put, give yourself some darn self-care because you're going to be a better friend. You're going to be a better partner. You're going to be a better employee and you're going to be a better parent. And your kids get to roll, they're seeing you role modeling, they're learning. So our kids learn more from what we say than what we do. I mean, you know, not from what we do than what we say, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yes, they listen to us, but if we're incongruent in what we're saying from our actions, which can easily happen when we're stressed out. So prioritize these lifestyle components, as Cynthia always talks about healthy eating, you know, my kids, they understand like, you know, we were just, my kids will ask random questions like what nutrient is in here? Because it's just part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. If they say to me, oh, I'm feeling really tired. I'm like, well, what would be a good food choice for you right now? Like, and they just start empowering them. I don't say you better eat this. I put it back on them. And so we know that good mental health, right? So we have maternal mental health, we have physical activity, but we want to develop in order to be a successful kid at school, at home, and in life, 
they've got to really have inner confidence and resilience, right? And so it's those little opportunities that create that, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to let your kid, you got to parent your kid to be autonomous. I talk about, I have something called the champ technique for raising kids. And the A in champ is parenting to be autonomous because we want our kids as tough as these moments are right for now. We want to provide comfort. We want to connect with them. We want to communicate and do all those things. You also have to help your kids develop these coping skills. And it's through these moments that really help to build it. And it's super powerful. It's You're not going to develop a whole new parenting strategy. You're just going to shift your language because I don't want parents to feel any more overwhelmed than they are. Instead, I want you to flip that dialogue and think about, wow, I actually have so many things that I can do. And all it takes is these little shifts that can create these massive, beautiful changes in my kids' mental health and my family mental health can be better. There's so much to unpack there. And and one thing that you touched on, I was talking to John Levy, who's this incredible, you know, neuroscience biological researcher. And we were having a conversation about fragility and how, you know, what are some of the predictors of fragility and how, you know, stressors at certain points in our lives can actually be really beneficial. And he was indicating that, you know, teenagers and young adults, that's a time in their lives that they have a particularly stressful situation can actually give them the opportunity to get stronger. And so this whole fragility model is something that I'm, you know, I'm a huge advocate of that we want to foster relationships and foster children that are able to respond and kind of, instead of having a trauma, like being in the pandemic and having it turn into a lifelong issue, having them come out and and develop strategies and abilities that maybe they didn't have before. I always think about the world war II generation. That was probably one of my favorite generations to take care of as a nurse practitioner. And I always found that they were so resilient because they went through so much. And so they just kind of stood up and instead of being fragile, they were anti-fragile. And so I wonder, you know, the, what kind of research is going to come out of the pandemic in terms of the impact on the mental health and physical health of our children. And hopefully for those of us that are, you know, trying our darndest to, you know, be as open and honest and forthcoming, whatever's age appropriate for our children, that, that we can embody them with the strategies and the ability to be able to come out of this stronger. Like I tell my boys all the time, I'm like, listen, we're getting into a point that things are starting to get back to some degree of normalcy. Like we're actually flying to Montana next week. I have a a speaking event and we're taking the whole family because it's such a beautiful part of the country. It's the first time all of us have been on a plane. My kids haven't been on a plane since 2019. I haven't been on a plane since March of 2020, same with my husband. And so, you know, can we touch on the fragility piece? Because I think that's, you know, you're definitely navigating around that, but I find it utterly fascinating and it's much like a hormetic stressor, you know, a little bit of stress is good. Too much is too much and can be non-beneficial to an organism, but let's touch on that because I think that kind of that particular item is of tremendous interest to me. And when I'm thinking about our children and the net impact on the entire yeah. population, and let's talk about, you know, we talk about the World War II generation or people that have gone through a really rough time. You know, my dad was a child in Italy in World War II and was very, very, very poor. Like he was the kid that didn't have shoes. Okay. And they would throw bombs in the tunnels where they lived and he'd have to run. And he tells all these stories, you know, my dad is like, like me, we're just like stress layers. We're like, mm-hmm. this is what we do. Cynthia knows me. So I'm mm-hmm. like, 
I'm always like, okay, what's the benefit out of this? You know, I process <laughs> it and I move on. But in mental health, there are protective factors and risk factors. And this ties into what we're talking about. And so one of the biggest protective factors in mental health is having coping skills. Mm -hmm. It's the basis of resilience. And I talk a lot about something called a resiliency mindset. And when we talk about resiliency, we often don't talk about, you know, it's about managing stress. And so there's three parts. It's how you view, manage, and recover stress. And kids today, Cynthia, my kids who are struggling the most, right? And I think about mental health issues as a dysregulation of the nervous system. Mm -hmm. Not that there isn't clinical anxiety and OCD and depression, which is holy moly isn't on the uptick, but it's about having dysregulated areas within your brain, but also in our brain's communication system. And I get to see this in QEG brain math. So we could talk about that, but Kids are dysregulated very easily and they can show breakdowns in one of those three areas. And when people work with me, I help them to understand that. And then we can measure progress based on, well, okay, is the recovery getting better, right? Because it's about having the breaking system, right? So our emotional brain, we often only think about the limbic system, but it also involves the breaking system of the frontal lobes. And something that hardly anybody talk about, your occipital region, the back region of your brain, it's your emotional e-brake back there. So no matter what happens, if your brakes aren't working, this area should flood. And when I look at people's brains in these brain scans, what happens is I'm seeing that people don't have resources. They don't have a braking system, and then they don't have an e-brake that would flood you and regulate your nervous system. A good, happy brainwave comes out called alpha. They're like literally just in constant activation. And so when we talk about fragility, right? When the best people, I talk about myself and my dad being stress slayers, I just don't view stress in the same way. And it starts with that. So my body, from a neurological perspective, I don't start to cascade of everything that goes on, your hormones, your neurotransmitters activating. Because I'm like, eh, I got a speeding ticket. Eh, it was long overdue, you know? And so, <laughs> right, happened in the pandemic, true story. Mm -hmm. And this is when we need to, how can we change this for our kids? How can I, my kid, I get my kid to be a stress slayer? Well, we need to role model it, number one, okay? And trust me, you got plenty of opportunities every hour on the hour from something falling out of your fridge to your cat throwing up on the floor, whatever. There's plenty of opportunities to show your kids how to, we're not ignoring stress. We're not pretending it doesn't exist. And even when you're super stressed out, you have to be like, kids, holy guacamole, super stressed <laughs> out. Last week we're at our friend's house and I was cracking up because my teenager, right? Everybody knows me, knows I'm a, I got a potty mouth. I'm the only person in my family with a potty mouth. My parents didn't have potty mouth. And my teenager was saying, oh, you hear mom swear once, no big deal. You hear her swear twice, you better run. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty true, Max. <laughs> but it doesn't happen that much, right? So how do we build this? So we want to create these moments for teaching coping skills. Mm -hmm. I recently, my easy kid, John Carlo, he does not forget things. Okay. He's the guy that reminds me. I have a damn good memory. He reminds me, don't forget. You got to do this in the morning and bump, bump, bump. So in one week, 
He had never, ever done this. He forgot his computer for school. And he goes to super cool science school and he does coding and programming. And he's been able to do this since he's like six years old. And so I said, hey, your cousin can go pick it up and bring it to you. By the way, his school is like 30, 35 minutes from my house on the highway. So it's far. And so I said, hey, it's a one-time deal. Don't forget it again. Okay. Because I'm a, your cousin can do it. He's like, oh, thank goodness. The same week he forgot it again. And so he's so funny because he knew. And he was like, what time's your first meeting, mom? And I said, oh, my <laughs> first meeting's at 11. He goes, oh, I forgot my computer. And you have plenty of time Ooh. to go and pick it up. So I was like, hey, here's the scoop. I'm not going to get it. I told you it was a one-time deal. And he goes, you don't have a meeting till 11. And I said, I'm busy. And we talked about it. He was mad. He told me he hated me. Cynthia. I mean, this kid, he doesn't normally Aww. do that, right? And I was like, honey, I understand you're mad. And da, 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 da. so, and I was like, look, think of it this way. You've never forgotten it before. Okay. And then my opportunity was, even though he was mad, I was like, what else could you do? Right. I didn't say, oh, poor baby. I didn't say, I was like, wow, that's really nice that you decided to tell me you hate me. And again, we're very playful and we laugh, but I use as an opportunity to do that. So he wound up pulling himself together. I didn't try to overparent. I didn't try to overcomfort him. And I didn't even have to go the first time. But mm-hmm. again, you got a super easy kid that doesn't ask for something every once in a while. You just got to do something extra. Right. But if I had run home, what would I have taught him? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, he made himself a checklist, Cynthia. So he never forgot his computer ever again on a Friday. I didn't That's even fantastic. have to ask him. He developed his own coping mechanism to do that on his own. And he figured it out. He's not going to forget it. He's going to take that lesson. And I didn't have to bubble wrap him. And so that's really what you need to do. You need to teach kids those coping skills. Mm-hmm. So your kid gets upset and they're crying. And you're like, wait a second. The last time this happened, you did what? I don't remember. And you're like, hold on a second. Take a breath think about it. I did this. Okay. What do you think you should do? Right. You don't say, let me go and do this for you. You want your kids to find their internal resources. I mean, that's one of the biggest shifts that we've negatively I've seen in this 30 years of working with kids and families is we are over parenting our kids. And what's happening is stress tolerance is like, I've never seen brighter kids, great grades, people grades don't define mental health not be able to cope with little disappointments. Mm -hmm. And these little disappointments, everybody are the practice for the bigot disappointments in life. Your girlfriend breaking up with you. You didn't get the job you wanted. You didn't get matched to the MD program you wanted to be whatever, you know what I mean? A hurricane hit you at the wedding, you know, I mean, big things. That's how we get ready for those things. That's mm-hmm. how I always say I'm the captain you want on your ship when it's going down. Cause when it goes down, I am like in my zone. Mm-hmm. I am really like a slayer of stress. I'm like, okay, what do we got to do? I go into a heightened mode of being able to problem solve, you know, that came from my parents parented me very independently and they let me make failures So I think that's really, really important. We talk about fragility. Mm -hmm. We're really talking about no stress tolerance. No, and it's interesting because when I was speaking with John, it really, oftentimes when I've connected with a a podcast guest, I will kind of 
really reflect on our conversation because I really value, this is one of my favorite things to do is to podcast and connect with other experts and be able to share your knowledge and others' knowledge with the podcast listeners. But the fragility piece really stuck with me. And much to your point, I was an ER nurse in the city of Baltimore. I worked in cardiology as an NP for 16 years. I was always that very calm, cool, collected person. And I generally deal very, very well with stress. And I've had two instances with each one of my children over the last couple of months where I had to let them sit with their mistake. And I recall, you know, my parents did a lot of things well, and then they did some things that were not so well, but our parents, they all do, they can exactly our parents do the best we can. But one thing my parents did, my mother in particular, better than a lot of other families that and children I was friends with at the time was my mother would say things to me, like I could make it easier for you, but you wouldn't learn anything. And I thought she was like the meanest, most awful person. But what it taught me was ultimately I'm responsible for myself And I had one instance where a kiddo did not do as well as he wanted to on an exam. And I, you know, kind of said, did you connect with your teacher to find out what you got wrong? And, you know, he was starting to head down the direction. Well, can you reach out to my teacher and can you do this? And I said, no, I mean, it sounds like you made some honest mistakes and you went from an A plus to an A in algebra and the world will go on. And this is just one semester. And this is not the end of the world. Cause he was in his head thinking about the long-term impact. Does right. this mean I won't be able to get into that magnet high school? Does this mean this? And then another day, you know, my older son, he's 15 years old. He's very, he's smart. He's responsible. Well, he just decided because we're going to be moving that he didn't need to stay on this list for his football team. Well, we showed up and very early in the morning for practice and there was no conditioning practice. And it meant that, you know, both parents had gotten up early. We had gotten in the car and I just said, this is a one and done. So you are now going to be part of that email list until we move. Because if this happens again, there's going to be some type of a repercussion because you're not respecting my time and you're not respecting your dad's time. And so, you know, he really understood and he came home and immediately reassigned himself to that. But you know, allowing our children to be a little bit more independent. I think this helicopter parenting that I'm sure is done with good intentions is going to make our children not very resilient. They are not going to be able to deal with disappointment and disappointment is a part of life. Like I know we've had private conversations where I've said, I'm so glad that X happened to me because what came of that is I changed paths and I didn't go to law school. I ended up doing something completely different. And so I think it really leads us to the path we're meant to be on, but we have to look at those as teachable moments and not necessarily as a negative thing. It's like, yeah, that sucked. I didn't get the, didn't go to the college I wanted to, or maybe that relationship didn't work out or some other, you know, extreme. We've been, you know, largely stuck in our homes for 15 or 16 months, but it's how we frame those experiences. It's how we look at them that allows us to kind of look forward. And I love that you're a part of my tribe and you are another person that is calm in the storm because we need people like this, just like we need people who are completely the opposite. It's it's how we balance out society. (laughs) If we were all that way, then we probably wouldn't get a lot done because we like to tell people like, this is what you need to do next. Um, It's part of our personalities. It's that, you know, when we have uncomfortable situations, right? You know, our anchor is our body and our body cues us to Mm -hmm. these different sensations, right? We, we often in therapy over-focus on feelings. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying feelings aren't important, 
but our body gives us a cueing. I do a lot of what's called somatic therapy, and it's about teaching people to reconnect to their body, whether they are under stress or have had a traumatic event and we want to disconnect, right? So when kids don't have stressful experiences, they don't recognize those feelings and sensations and thoughts that come through. And, you know, parents are so well-intending, Cynthia, you know, they really want their kids to have the best, right? Like my, my immigrant parents wanted me to have the best, like for them, it was education, right? They never thought that I wasn't capable. So they let us be super, super crazy independent. And they, you know, let us do all kinds of things like jump on the train in the 80s to go into the city in New York when it was full of criminals, but they knew they raised kids that had great common sense and they Mm -hmm. knew we were in a pack and guess what? Nothing happened. Right. So they gave us plenty of opportunities, but when we teach kids, Hey, listen, that's what grief feels like. Hey, that's what depression, you know, sadness feels like they're able to recognize it, process and address it Mm -hmm. instead of being overwhelmed by it because they've never experienced it. There's so many parts about experiencing failure, just like you said, you know, your son, he made a mistake. You were like, Hey, you didn't get into a screaming match with them. You were like, here's the deal. Now it's on you. Mm-hmm. And the great part is that's developmentally appropriate. He mm-hmm. can manage his own email. You can be CC'd on it and he's going to have to develop some resources to do it on his own. And that's going to serve him beautifully in life. He wasn't stressed out by it. He found a way to do it, you know, and I can say that we grew up in the eighties. Our parents weren't all over us no. about these kind of things. My parents were like, Oh, you got a test today. Oh, okay. You studied? Okay. Yeah, sure. So I don't even think they asked me if I studied. You know, they just assumed I was going to do the right thing. Maybe they should have been checking Tony and Philomena because I read a lot of books when I was in class that had nothing to do with class. I did okay. But seriously, we do need to give our kids these chances of failure because it's so important for their mental health. And if your kids, you know, are so dysregulated, when you think about that resiliency mindset, how you view, manage, and cope with stress, if you have kids that are recover from stress, if you kids that just don't recover, they literally are tantruming, they're stuck, they're angry, they're resentful, and it goes on for inappropriate time. Let me tell you, your kid 100% has a dysregulated nervous system, and they need to think about what are things clinically that I can do is, is this, do we need to do, we should be doing things every day, like breath work and meditation and yoga. And then you could do more advanced things like biofeedback, neurofeedback. You can do other things to help your child that has nothing to do with a pill because a pill is not going to fix things. And the basis of my work is regulating the nervous system coming in with new learning. That is a hundred percent why people come from all over the world, because It's about teaching you another way to cope, to manage it and giving you that internal confidence because we always look for external resources. It's just a band-aid. You'll never really get better. And in fact, you go from band-aiding one situation to another. And, you know, as a mom, I just want my kids to be happy, right? And to be kind, nice people, just like Max saved me that last, you know, saved me my mochaccino cupcake which I'm going to give back to him, by the way. So um, when I get home, because he was a teenager, he's still sleeping this morning, you know. 
<laughs> so you so much value in what you just said, but you did talk a little bit about some of these biohacking. And as anyone that's a listener, this is an area of interest of mine. It's something I touch on with most of our guests. Let's unpack what is neurofeedback, biofeedback, and what does it do for our brains? Because I think this is fascinating. And it, I'll just interject to say that many years ago when I was a new nurse and I worked as an ER nurse in Baltimore, some of the most interesting characters were the neurologists. And it was largely because they were very cerebral, but we really understand such a little amount of what goes on with our brains that I find this is now fast forward 20 some odd years later, and now we know so much more. So I'd love for you to touch on this because I think this is particularly relevant and really valuable. Yeah. So this is my 30th year in mental health and (laughs) hard to believe you're you're so youthful. Well, thank you. It's good skincare as Cynthia has taught me. (laughs) It's a lot of drinking of water and I was raised holistically. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we always think Italians are eating crunchy before we knew what crunchy was. Yeah. I'd actually have to hide that I was crunchy. You know, the chicks on my bus stop were like, you eat what? And you do what? Did you eat organ meat as a child? Of course we did. Well, no, no, I tell people, I'm like, I thought my mom was so weird, but we had yeah. like organ meat and yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my God. My mom makes the best turkey stuffing with the organ meat. It's like, mm. oh, it's really, really good. And, you know, we grew up with two to three vegetables at every meal. You know, pasta wasn't something we had every night. You know, we ate a lot of Italians call it verdud, a lot of greens, a lot mm-hmm. of things like that, and always had a massive, massive garden. My parents have a 2,400 square foot garden. What? They have to have somebody come and help them. Of course they do. That's massive. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's a lot of good stuff. But so let's talk about neuro and biofeedback because you got me all excited. I'm such a geek on this. So for, you know, I've only done integrative mental health because when you go to the research people, it's not medication that comes up. It's mm-hmm. what is called integrative. And so, you know, in my book, it's going to be okay. I dive into these eight pillars of mental health and parenting is one part and as well as these brain-based things. And so people don't know about neurofeedback. It's 50 years old. Biofeedback is probably, I think, 70 or 80 years old. Tens of thousands of research studies, 3,000 peer-reviewed studies with neurofeedback. These tools are used for both to address clinical conditions, you name it. If I haven't talked about it, please know that it's there. Headaches, pain, you know, drug addiction. I do a lot of brain injury stuff. And as well as for optimization, like sometimes I just work with executives, all the major athletes do it. The space guys are all mandated to do before they go to space. It's pretty incredible because, you know, if anybody who knows me, I get a lot of shit done. And it's really because I eat incredibly well, but also I do a lot of neurofeedback and it Mm -hmm. takes you to a higher level of consciousness. But when we talk about, you know, what's the difference? So biofeedback is learning how to take control of an autonomic function. So your Mm -hmm. breath, your heart rate, your skin temperature, your muscle, why do you mostly do it? You mostly do it for stress management and pain, as well as to gain muscle control for specific things like having bladder floor issues and a whole host of things. It's an awesome thing. The devices are very inexpensive. It's super accessible. Can't say enough good things about it. And you can do with any age. I started doing heart math, heart rate variability training with my little guy when he was two. Okay. So it's super, super easy. Now, neurofeedback is training the sub 
conscious to get into a regulated state. So if you heard me before, brain dysregulation shows up along this continuum to internalizing to externalizing behaviors, whether you want to address it at a behavioral level or it's a clinical condition, you just about can reduce or reverse pretty any clinical symptom with neurofeedback. And there's thousands of research to studies to substantiate. It's always a piece in the holistic component. You must incorporate lifestyle changes. Remember the basis of my work, regulating the nervous system with typically with brain-based technologies, but other things too, because lots of free things to do and then new learning. So you still have to come in with new learning. So for most people, the process starts with what I do. So I either do, if you're local to me, you know, you drive in, you do something called a QEG brain map, or if you're work in another country, because we do remote neurofeedback too, we have clients in like Asia, we send you the equipment, we do a brain check, we look at certain areas of the brain, because I can read uh, raw EEG data. So it gives you a visual representation of the brain, and then I'm able to make protocols on it. And so what the heck is neurofeedback? What does it look like? Super, super, super simple concept. Nothing comes through the wires. You're hooked to a computer and your subconscious brain has to start working and regulating the brain. And in two to three seconds from the first time you get hooked up, neurofeedback will start regulating your brain because it wants this reinforcement. What we do is we use technology. It plays movies and you get visual and auditory feedback and your subconscious by the way, the number one movie in the office is Back to the Future, regardless of age. And, <laughs> and so you get to see Doc Brown and Marty McFly, you know, doing the DeLorean and you literally your subconscious brain is like, OK, I want this reinforcement. It's just exercise for the brain to take mm-hmm. you out of a dysregulated state, regardless of clinical condition regardless of there's no clinical condition and you just want to optimize your brain. And the thing about neurofeedback is and biofeedback, just like working out, it's going to take some time. You don't do one session and you're buff at the gym. And so most people are doing at least 20 sessions. If you've tried neurofeedback and you only did five or 10 and you're like, I didn't notice anything. It's because homeostasis, your brain does not want to change its set point. Mm -hmm. Same thing about weight. You really have to start mixing it up. So it's pleasant. It's safe. There's um, 50 years of research to show that there's not one negative component to it. It is so ridiculously effective. When people come to me, they're often like, I'm so afraid. How could this natural thing work? And I'm like, well, you've tried eight medications and it didn't work. So (laughs) this has the research. Let's do it. Let's give it a chance. And then they'll do like 20 sessions and they meet with me and they're like, holy cow, this works so great. Why didn't I know about this? And I'm like, this is why Dr. Rowe does what she does and gets out there because there's no need, you know, I'm not an anti-medication. I just I'm an anti overuse of medication and 70% of psychiatric medications with kids under age 18 are used off label, which means there's no research to substantiate their efficacy for that thing. So we need to be concerned. So super powerful. And really, what does it do when you get in a regulated state, your brain is working. So I can change the function over structures and the neural networks And what's awesome about the neural networks are the super highways between sites. And the most famous person you could think of who had the best neural network is Einstein. Mm -hmm. So he had 
400 times uh, the neural networks in one area over the corpus callosum. I don't want to get too geeky on you. And that is the super highway connector of the brain. And he had a genetic defect there that allowed him to process that. So you start, I do a lot of work on the neural networks and anybody who's really connected to themselves, particularly my adults are like, I can just process so much faster. And I'm like, oh, trust me. I know it's really pretty cool. So it's for those biohackers or you're like, holy moly, I'm so stressed out. I just can't get a hold. The nutrition's not doing it for me. The exercise isn't doing for me. First of all, don't abandon those things. Those are the foundational components of the nervous system, right? Which includes your brain. And you're going to help with neuroplasticity. You're going to help with those are clinically proven to reduce every clinical condition you could think of, but the top ones, anxiety, depression, and OCD. So, but neurofeedback, it's pleasant. It's easy. It just takes a commitment. You're going to need to do it two or three times a week and changes are lasting. The research studies, as far as 10 years out, show that most people sustain the brain changes. And not only do they sustain them, the brain continues to improve and change on its own which is pretty cool. So every day we help people lose clinical diagnoses. I know nobody wants to talk about that because they get all upset when I say reduce and reverse mental health issues and conditions. Everybody's brain is different and some people will and some people won't. But when you adopt and utilize evidence-based approaches that are totally grounded in neuroscience, there's no way not to get better. There is no way. The only limiter in that is the person's belief system that they can't. I think that's really incredible. And ironically enough, I had my first neurofeedback session a few weeks ago. There's a local friend who just started this business. I had one session and I remember I went home and I had like the best sleep ever. And I said, could that have been from one session? And she said, I do have people that report that they have this like relaxation factor. And so if you're mastering your brain, if you're facilitating, you know, support of the autonomic nervous system, more parasympathetic than sympathetic more rest and repose, as opposed to fight or flight, that really makes sense. Now I want to be super respectful of your time. And obviously I'm gonna have to bring you back because there were so many other rabbit holes we could have dove down. And, you know, some of the things that I want to make sure I quickly touch on that people were asking about number one, these were, I had a couple followers questions. Number one was how do I limit screen time in the pandemic and social distancing. So that was the first question. I'm sure you probably have like a canned response. Cause you I have probably a great get asked this a lot. So my answer is this use technology to limit. Mm-hmm. So we use a device called Graphion. There's all different kinds. And basically again, to try to empower our kids to be autonomous, our kids, we tell them this is the amount of time they have mm-hmm. a Wi-Fi time. Mm-hmm. And that is all they get. They have to budget and manage it. And once it's over, it's over. And the only way that my kids can get extra time is if they do physical activities in our house, we're making our kids do all the labor around the house. So (laughs) they're moving like wood piles and things like that. And they just do it. They're like, Hey, Oh mom, I ran out of Wi-Fi time. Uh, what if I get all the garbage and I do this and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, sounds great. 
boom. It stopped all the friction because everybody I wanted to talk to, I just did a big training for a corporation. And this is what the CEO wanted to talk to me about, like how to stop this with their kid. You know what I mean? So I think that's the number one thing you can do and really insist that they are, I'm more worried about what they're missing Mm-hmm. by being on tech, too much technology. Technology is here. You got to get the moving exercise way, but that's my number one tip. Okay. So out of curiosity, your teenager, how much time does he get? Is it per day or per week? It's per day. I want to okay. say he gets like five hours. He's got okay. a long list of things he's got to do. And he just honestly just does them now. Okay. Like it's rare that he's, we're getting in any kind of argument, which is- okay. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's a beautiful it, thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm not saying that's the right amount. You might be shocked by that amount. The other question is, what is the right amount? Well, prior to the pandemic, they kept saying two hours, two hours, two hours. The average that people are spending teens, 13 to 18 year old in 2019 is 7.22 hours. Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes sense. That's the average kids are spending every day. And that's average. So you think about, you know, 50%, roughly 50% are spending more time than than that. And that makes complete sense. Now I'm going to have to bring you back to address this other question, but one quick question about the net impact of if someone has contracted the virus, they were exposed to COVID, developed COVID, even if they had mild symptoms, what are some of the big signs for you of the long-term effects. Like if someone cleared the virus, they felt bad for a week or two, what would be things that for you would be setting off kind of alarm bells that they need to have, they require further evaluation. So these like long haul COVID survivors. Yeah. So such a great question because I've been talking about this for months and I am seeing uh, cognitive and psychiatric Mm -hmm issues resulting post COVID. And I specialize in something called pans and pandas and autoimmune encephalopathy. And we won't go into, that's a whole other conversation. So it's when you have an infectious or toxin trigger that does a sudden onset of a psychiatric, a cognitive issue. And it used, the P is supposed to stand for pediatric. We now are not, we're now Mm -hmm. opening that up to adults. So what do you need to look for? So all of a sudden your kid looks like they're ADHD. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had kids with psychosis after, and this is happening to adults too. So please, you know, know that. So you want to look for a shift that doesn't seem to fit. And COVID can be a slow decline, like Every day they seem to be more unfocused. The reading is really off. You know, if you see that change, trust your gut and, you know, look for ways to support that. So, you know, I like to talk about different supplements that can help things like bacaba, but you want to make sure it's appropriately detoxed out of the body. I won't go into every detail. I talk a lot about it in my book. Um, That's a whole chapter. Detoxification is a pillar of mental health. But you want to make sure that you're up moving, you're using things like parsley and cilantro and other tools in your daily to help detox. This is just good stuff. And then I do a lot of obviously neurofeedback and PEMF. That's a whole other topic. I'm totally a PMF junkie. And to help to get the nervous system back online, because no healing can occur if your nervous system is in a hyper stress activated state. And I specialize so much in infectious disease. That's probably the top reason why people come to me because they have psychiatric issues and they're working with amazing providers, but they can't get better. It's because the nervous system is stuck 
on. So if you see signs and symptoms, don't think all of a sudden your kid now has depression when there's no history, they can be depressed, but the result, it can be from a medical issue. Mm -hmm. Find somebody who can help support you. Neurofeedback providers are all over the world. You can go to bcia.org to find a certified person. Like I said, I work remotely with people as well, but you want to make sure that you are helping their brain to get back online because from a brain perspective, what COVID does, it looks just like Epstein-Barr, by the way, on the brain map. It comes in and shuts everything off, Cynthia. So I'll have a brain map and literally there's no connectivity. There's no processing working. It's like, I always try to explain to the parents and the adults that come in that it's like your brain is constantly on ways mm-hmm. and there's no direct route. And so it's very, very stressful and draining from a processing perspective, which is why you look like you're ADHD or something's taking you five hours and it used to take you a half an hour. So when you see it, believe it and take action on it. Well, that's a beautiful explanation. I'm so glad you're doing the work in this area in particular, and I would love to bring you back and I could just geek out over brain detoxification, the glymphatic system and all those things. The more I learn about the brain, the more fascinating I find it. So let the listeners know how to connect with you, how to find your book, where are you on social media? Tell them all the things. Well, you can find me as Dr. Roseanne pretty much everywhere. And that's R-O-S-E-A-N-N. And doctor is D-R. That's on YouTube. That's on TikTok. Cause I think I'm really funny and I have some TikToks. Um, And my website is drroseanne.com. My book is there and you can go to It's Gonna Be Okay to get my book. And there's some free resources and gifts when people buy the book, you can go to Amazon too. And even though this book is written for parents, it's the same pillars for mental health across. I'm just so committed to kids because it's so much more of a crisis in mental health and we can do better for them. And parents need this information. And I'm all about, you've heard me, you can hear how much I try to condense and give a lot of value to people because I'm a special needs mom too. And I know what it's like to be distressed and we are only as happy as our happiest kid. And so I just want parents to know that there's no magic bullet, but there's lots of great research to show us exactly what to do. And that's what this book is about. It literally tells you exactly what to do. Well, thank you for all the great work that you're doing. I'm so blessed to have you as a friend and a colleague and, you know, you're a mental health warrior. And as you stated, there is a pediatric mental health crisis. There aren't enough providers. And I'm so grateful that you and your team are providing these kinds of services to pediatric populations. Well, thank you, my friend. I'm grateful for you. And thanks for having this conversation. And I hope people have aha moments and, you know, share this. You know, what I always ask is if you know or care about anybody who has a child that might be struggling, or maybe your friend is a mom who's struggling, share this podcast with them in a loving way to say, I got so much out of this. Please do. Because if we do, we get to help so many more people, which is why Cynthia and I do what we do. Absolutely. Well, we'll definitely be bringing you back to talk more about topics. And if you're a listener and you particularly love this episode, definitely let us know so we can bring Roseanne back sooner rather than later. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. 